and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the part two of the April and Mary show. This is April Hanna. I am the host of the Path 11 podcast, and I have with me Mary Peichel. And we did a show talking about our impressions and our feelings about Doreen Virtue and her switch from New Age to a very strong Christianity belief. And in episode one, we kind of just had a nice conversation about some of our thoughts around that. And we wanted to continue this conversation because we came across a YouTube video uh, from Doreen, and the title is Why Christians Should Avoid Reiki and Energy Healing. So Mary and I are both Reiki master teachers, and we have been receiving Reiki and practicing Reiki uh, for a very long time. My Reiki practice started back in 2008. It's 2020 now. I actually run a Reiki healing center and have trained uh, quite a few Reiki students to go out into the world and share Reiki. And it has been a beautiful experience for me. I have not experienced anything evil or anything that has harmed anyone in the delivery of Reiki. And I am really hoping with this episode that we can shed the light on our side as Reiki master teachers of what we have been taught by our teachers and maybe just counteract a little bit of Doreen's belief system and what she thinks Reiki is. Um, and I just think that there's some information out there in this video that does, can really put a lot of fear in people. So my goal on my side of this conversation with Mary is to hopefully debunk a little bit of what I hear Doreen Virtue saying in this video. And we will put the link in the show notes. It's about 11 minutes long, and we will be playing her YouTube video on and off throughout this podcast to have discussion. And Mary, would you like to share with people how long you have been practicing Reiki and what your Reiki practice has been like? Yes. First of all, I would love to say that I love how you introduced the show because we don't have a name yet. We just have this idea and this topic that we really want to put out there. Um, so we're working it out. We're trying to figure that part out, but for now, that's great. So yeah, Reiki, I have been, first of all, I was introduced to Reiki by Jenny Defina, who is a medium and psychic. She actually introduced me to Jeanette and that was my first experience ever with Reiki. And I'm not really sure if I even knew what Reiki was before that or not. I don't really remember when it first came into my awareness, but it's one of the things in my healing journey that really changed things for me and put me on the path and was my teacher. And my first memories of Reiki, and I'm going to bring this up later in the show because it makes a point to some, to some of the things that some other people are saying about it, is when Jeanette would work on me and my eyes were closed, I would feel, I could feel myself as energy, like as no body. And I would feel like I was hiding upside down or I was bent in half. And I would literally physically feel this way. And I would have to open my eyes to make sure that I was still a body and that I wasn't hiding upside down and that I wasn't split in half because I could literally not get in the body. 
and I just felt this very kind of weird energy, almost like you're on a roller coaster. So I always thought that was my first inclination that something was really happening. I've heard so many people say, people that I meet, that they have tried Reiki and they don't really buy it, it hasn't really done anything for them, and they move on to other things. Like I've, I've met numerous healers that have this um, perception of Reiki. It just hasn't been my experience personally. And another thing that would happen is when Jeanette would be working on me, I could feel hands on other parts of my body. Like I would know she would be on my shoulders, but I would physically feel hands like both my leg or my ankle or a different part of my body. And it wasn't anything scary or intimidating or harsh. It was very gentle. Like there was another set of healing hands there. So, you know, that always led me to the idea that we're not alone when we're practicing Reiki, that when we do connect with the energy of God, that there is a healing presence that assists us. Well said. And I guess my introduction to Reiki also came after I met Jeanette, and Jeanette is our shared healer. Jeanette Defoe is her name, and you can learn more about her actually in the Path Afterlife documentary. She is in the Path Afterlife and also the Path Evolution. So you can go to pathloveandproductions.com to rent that if you guys would like. So my experience with Jeanette, I was actually a rape crisis counselor at the time. I received my bachelor's degree and was at a staff meeting, and Jeanette's husband was actually hired. We thought it was wonderful because it's very rare to find a male therapist, uh, specifically, you know, working with childhood sexual abuse, and it was just, a, you know, a great addition to have on the staff. So Chris and I were best buds. We were all sitting around with our staff at the lunch table, and we happened to get onto the subject of dreams. And I mentioned that um, now this was in my twenties that I used to dream that I was in houses all the time. I mean, every night I would go to sleep and then I was in a house that I could see and wake up and draw um, so vividly. So I began to actually sketch out my houses that I was visiting just in case one day I might actually enter into one of those houses, which I actually did, but I'll save that for another time. So I was telling Chris about my ability to dream of houses, didn't think anything of it. And he said, Oh, my wife does the same exact thing. He said, in fact, she woke up this morning saying she was outside of a yellow house, walked in through the front door, walked up the steps, turned left and was in some sort of bedroom. And he goes, I don't remember how she can remember all those details. Well, as Chris was saying that, that was the exact same house that I had dreamt of. Jeanette and I were in the same house the same night in our dreams. And I turned white as a ghost. I told Chris about my experience and I said, who is your wife? I need to meet her. So he told me a little bit more about Jeanette, that she was actually a registered nurse working in Kingston Hospital in New York, and that she also had a side business. She um, was an energy healer and also did cards. So I said, well, I have to meet her. Now, mind you, I had been in and out of therapy since I was a young child due to some childhood trauma. And um, when I met Jeanette, she did this card reading for me and then I got on her massage table and she performed an energy healing. And I remember that day that things shifted and healed in me, uh, you know, just childhood trauma and things that were going on in my life that I was not able to heal in mental health therapy. 
So having a bachelor's degree at that point in psychology and knowing eventually I was probably going to go on to become a mental health counselor, I felt like I really needed to learn what this was because what just happened and how is it possible that in meeting with someone for an hour, an hour and a half, I was able to release and clear and remove so much heavy emotion, PTSD and trauma that I wasn't able to do in therapy. So my experience from Reiki then on there was phenomenal. And I found a Reiki master by the name of Carol Von Canal, who is up here in Saratoga Springs, New York, and took it with my mother-in-law at the time. And one of the reasons why I really liked Reiki was one, it was affordable to be able to take, but two, it also provided a certificate of completion, which some of the other energy healing modalities that were being offered around my area uh, didn't offer that. And of course, in our culture, degrees mean something for whatever reason. It makes you feel a little more distinguished, certified. And at the time, there was the Barbara Brennan of Healing uh healing touch certification that you could get down in New York City, but it was thousands of dollars and I didn't have the money. So I decided to choose the route of Reiki and everything that Mary has said, I have had all of those experiences as well. Uh, when Reiki is being applied to me, my clients have said some of the same stuff and I feel like the energy work has helped me to move through many different things in life and has been a wonderful compliment to mental health therapy as well. And Mary, did you want to comment anything? From there, you know, I want to talk a, part, a little bit about um, the Reiki Master piece of it because Doreen talks about this in her video, and she says she always felt that Master was very egoic, and I think it's just really how you relate to it or how you receive it. Because that's one of the arguments that I've listened to a lot of videos over the past week on people saying that Reiki is evil and pointing out all the issues with it. And one of the things is it's very egoic to become this master. And, you know, I never was attracted to Reiki from that perspective. They say there's something secret about it and it's very special if you get it. And that's what draws people in. And honestly, for me, it wasn't that I just sort of found myself there and I had an experience with it. And through my experience with it, I wanted to know more. I wanted to learn more. And if you really know Reiki, which this confuses me because some of these people were Reiki masters, the healing is you're not the healer. You hold space for the energy of God to come through you. So there really is no ego involved in true Reiki. You, anybody can certainly get their ego involved and attach on to this. I'm a healer and I'm a Reiki master, but I think that that's something very personal and it's not exclusive to Reiki. It's more of what you bring to it. So that's one of the one of the arguments that when people kept bringing this up, it just led me to believe that these people were not in the right space with Reiki. And it's not surprising to me that if they're not in the right space with it, they're not going to have maybe the highest relationship that they could with it. And maybe that could lead them to have some of these ideas that they have about it now. But I think that it's more about where they came from in entering Reiki than actually Reiki itself. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. And I tell a very funny story about that in my level one training with my Reiki students. Because when I took level one, I was very excited to call myself a healer. I was going to get this certification in Reiki. I couldn't wait to touch people and do this. And these were all of my thoughts before I went to the Reiki 
level one training class with Carol. And I do think with everything that you're saying, it probably depends on the Reiki master teacher and how they teach. And I think I was blessed by my teachers because one of the first things that Carol had said was exactly what you said, Mary. She says, if you all came here thinking that you were going to be a healer, she said, put your ego aside and leave it at the door. She said, you are not the healer. You are the vessel that is going to have the ability to channel that universal life force energy through your body to others. And the Reiki has an intelligence, um, that is more intelligent than you or I or your client. And I remember thinking, well, what the heck did I take this class for, right? I'm in my early 20s filled with ego. And I was kind of disappointed that I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I can't, I can't say, you know, I'm a healer here. Um, but I understood it the more that she talked about it to realize and at that point, I didn't even know the concepts of ego or the egoic self, but it really put me in check. And I was thinking, whoa, okay, that was kind of like the first slap to my ego. But it was also really reassuring to know that in Reiki, when you remove the ego, that you are not doing anything. You know, Reiki energy is not putting anything in or taking anything out. Your body is attuned through the attunements to be able to hold the high vibration of energy, and you are just the conduit. Um, and the terms that are used in Reiki, we could call it God energy, we could call it source, the universe. In the training manuals that I have used and what I have been told, it is called universal life force energy. To me, that's just another name for God, um, you know, source, whatever, whatever you want to say. So I think it's just a matter of phonetics there of what we're calling it. But uh, definitely, Mary, that is such a key point. That is one of the things that I tell my Reiki students in the very beginning, the very first day, I too tell them, leave your ego at the door because you are just the conduit for this energy to come through you. You are not the healer. Yes, very good point. And, you know, one of the things Doreen says, and all of these people say, and, you know, especially in part one, we covered this too, of this discussion. And one of the things they're saying is that people pick and choose. They say, well, you know, God is the same thing as the universe. And you know, so it's like, that's one of the arguments that, that they use against this stuff. And I think Jeanette had taught us that Reiki translates into energy of God. Like it's energy coming directly from God. So, you know, that would be one of my arguments to people on the other side. And I think it would be a healthy argument. I'm not looking to get into any kind of <laughs> like negative debate, but cause I, you know, I honor their opinion too. You know, it takes all kinds, like we're here to have this dualistic experience. So, you know, people that are living their life in a way that is the polar opposite of me, perhaps it's, I honor them because if they weren't them, I couldn't be me. So the other thing I would say to that is that when one of the things that they say is that the only way to God is Jesus and that there's no other way to God. If you try to get to God another way, you don't know what God you're getting to. So that, you know, that's, I think that that's where they throw me off the most is because I believe that, you know, people come here and I mean, there's tribes that have had there's very few left, but, and only one that I know of that have had no connection with the outside world. Right. So it's like, and when you go into these tribes, right, they worship nature, right. They have the sun God and the moon God and, you know, the plant spirits and things like that. So it's like, 
I believe that God is in us and tries to reach us in whatever way God can. So I don't think that God would forsake people that would have no exposure to Jesus. That's one of the really, you know, the really kind of like head scratching things when I'm listening to these people. It's like, you know, not everybody is accessible. Jesus is not accessible to everybody. So if he's not accessible in your lifetime, then what happens to you, right? Because they really say, like, if you don't repent through Jesus, you're going to hell. Like, they say that. I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I've been listening to this stuff for a couple of weeks now. And they say that. Like, that's the only way. And the only way to the true God that you will have everlasting life with, the only way you can experience true grace is through Jesus. So, you know, they, they don't, they don't have any other leeway for anything, anything other than, than Jesus really. Mm, Good points. Thank you. So, um, Mary, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go ahead and start to play the YouTube and I'm going to hit pause in certain areas, um, where I would like to talk. And I know you took notes too, and, (laughs) we're going to figure this technology out together. So hopefully this works. Um, if there is something or a place where you want me to pause, just kind of give me a shout out and I will try to do that. If I could hear you over her speaking. Okay. All right. And we're talking today about energy healing and Reiki healing. And, uh, probably a little known fact about me is that I actually was a Reiki master. Master always seems so egoic, but it's something that implies you went through all these courses. You get the level one, you get the level two, and mastership. And I had um, taken these courses in California and also in Ireland. And the Reiki courses consist of you being shown, and here's that thing, that secret wisdom that appeals to the sinful nature of humanity, uh, this, this desire to know something special that you think is hidden wisdom that's not available to everyone. The basis of Reiki. Okay. Hold on. I just want to pause right there. First of all, um, like you were saying earlier, Mary, about these levels and being masters. I never thought of that either, actually with, uh, you know, the ego attached to the master to me, just because I've gone through college, I kind of look as level one Reiki is getting my associates level two Reiki is getting my bachelor's degree. Level three Reiki becoming Reiki master teacher is your master's degree or Reiki masters, your master's degree and Reiki master teacher would be your PhD. So into it. What's that? Right? It's the work that you put into it. So you you see that you have more or experience. It's just a way to quantify things. That's how we do it in this world. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing before we get into this whole secret knowledge is the fact that there's nothing secret about Reiki. There are books written about it, um, you know, in the history. Well, first, let me start off by saying that Reiki used to be passed down from uh, teacher to student all verbally. And then eventually it came into written form. So, you know, there are some maybe books out there or how they report on the history of Dr. Yasui um, that may vary a little bit because of the way that it's passed down in tradition. But 
my understanding and my teachings is that Yusui went to look through Sanskrit scriptures and trying to learn how Buddha and Jesus healed. And he did find documentation of that. Um, so I, I just don't get the secrecy or the fact that there's any secret hidden power. I mean, Reiki and information on Reiki is available on Google, in, uh, in books, I mean, all over. It's just out there. So I'm not sure so, if I'm understanding what she means by that, but uh, maybe you can explain that for me a little bit. Well, I have a question for you. So when you, when you looked at, when people looked into like, you know, Jesus was like a healer, cause she talks a lot about that. What did they find? Cause one of the things that she says, and maybe we can, we'll get to this part in the clip is that Jesus healed in one shot. So this is not healing from Jesus. Cause if it were Jesus, you wouldn't have to go back. It wouldn't be cumulative. I have my own arguments against that, but so what did they find? Do you know when they went back and they looked at the healing of Jesus, like did they find that he did things similar to Reiki? Is that, well, my understanding is that Dr. Yasui, um, you know, was teaching, um, was teaching the practices in, in a Christian college, right? And he had a student that challenged him and asked him, Dr. Yasui, do you accept the contents of the Bible literally? And Dr. Yasui said, yes. And the student said to him, you really do? And he said, you've actually seen somebody walk on water or have you seen anyone walk on water? And Dr. Yasui said, no, I haven't. And the student challenged him again, but you choose to believe that even though you haven't seen that with your own eyes. And so the history of Reiki goes that that really challenged Dr. Yasui to want to find out more about the teachings of Jesus and how he was able to heal and Buddha. So when he began, you know, learning how to do this by researching the transcripts, um, different, he went through different translations of, um, I think it was like different Bibles and finally eventually had Sanskrit translated. What he found were the Reiki symbols, which she talks about and the Reiki symbols. He, he didn't, he read about them and felt like he found this ancient wisdom, I guess that she's talking about of how the Buddha and Jesus healed, but he didn't know how to use those symbols. So he went on a 21 day fast and hiked up a mountain in Japan, put 21 rocks out. Cause he knew he'd have to come down in 21 days. And on the 21st day, the story is, is that as he was in his meditation, this bright light came, hit him through the third eye, and he received a download of information on how to use these Reiki symbols. And then once that embodied him, he came down the mountain, went back to the village, and then opened up a, a Reiki center. And he specifically was giving Reiki to the poor people. And but what he realized with the Reiki energy is that, you know, they called it the beggar's camp, that he would administer Reiki and the beggars would feel better for a while, but then they would come back. And he was noticing that the Reiki wasn't sustaining them. So the other thing that he realized was all that he was doing was providing some relief of physical healing, but what wasn't being healed was the mind and the soul. So then he came up with the Reiki principles, which is also taught in Reiki training. And I think they're beautiful principles to live by. The Reiki principles are just for today, feel no anger, 
have no worries, show gratitude, be diligent in all undertakings, and treat everyone with kindness. So brought together with the ability to physically heal, and then to also recite those Reiki principles as a reminder in the way of how to heal the mind, because if you think about that, just for today, feel no anger, right? Anger is of the ego. Um, It's very hard to be in relationships here on earth, and a lot of people can get triggered with anger. Feel no worry. Uh, Most of the people, Mary, that you see, I know that I see, are filled with a ton of anxiety. Um, Show gratitude, right? That's the big buzzword. Gratitude practice, gratitude journals, showing gratitude, being grateful for what you for for living, for what you have around you, to be diligent in all undertakings. Basically, if you commit to something, don't don't cut corners. You know, stick to the end. Be diligent, and then to treat everyone with kindness. Well, to me, that sounds very godlike. Those principles. So um, that is the way in which it's a very short version of how the Reiki story was passed down to me and how Yusui came to learn and find these symbols. Um, but it wasn't until he received, and I'm using the word download, um, because I think when you're in deep meditation, you can have access to information in the universe that all of a sudden just makes sense and clicks. And then he had a knowing of how to use those symbols. I'm totally laughing because I, you know, I know what the argument from the other side would be. Well, it's not in the Bible. And I keep thinking, and I know you can relate to this, like my time to the clinics, like if it's not in the notes, it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> you have to keep, like if, for people that don't know, like in clinical social work or psychology, when you see your clients, you have to keep case notes. And if it's not in the notes, it didn't happen. So that's, you know, I think where they're taking a large piece of their, um, their argument. It's like, it almost reminds me of like completely hands off the wheel. And one of the things that I see, and I'm not picking on Christians at all, like at all, at all. And I have my own beliefs about Jesus. And I know that, you know, born again, Christians would say that I don't believe, but I feel that I do. And one of the things that they really are adamant about, it's like, their only personal power is to believe in Jesus. Like other than that, they have no personal power. Everything's at the will of Jesus. And that's just something that I see a lot like in trauma patients. I'm sure you see this too, when they get an access to diagnosis and access to are the personality disorders, um, which, you know, they're very comorbid with people that have had trauma. And it's almost like an inability to really take full responsibility for their experiences and what's happening. And one of the thing, one of the arguments that they bring up is that on the Reiki table, people are choosing Reiki. They're, they're doing it themselves. God is not involved and that's why it doesn't work. And I think what you said, April speaks to that. It's, you know, we're here and we have free will and yeah, there is God presence, but we're also interacting with that, with our ego, with our life experiences. And What happens to you on the table of Reiki is a personal contract between you and God, but, and also, you know, to really allow God to be present, we have to be in non-resistance. And I think that that's where people might argue that, well, Reiki, you don't get a full healing and, you know, you're doing it without God and that's why it's not working. But, you know, God is in us. God is having this experience through us. So, you know, maybe the point is not to come here and be fully healed. Like, what would be the point? For some people, yes. And can we access full healing? I truly believe we can. But I think that there's all these other 
processes that are very significant, some we understand, some we don't, that come into play too. It's not so black and white. And, you know, when they say, why are these people not getting full healings? It's like, well, we really have to allow the full healing. We have to be in a place of faith and we have to be in a place where we can accept healing. And there's a lot of psychological things going on that prevents us from from being in that place a lot of times. And the other thing that I would say to that, like, why aren't full spontaneous healings happening? I mean, one, I think that they do, they do happen around the world. But when I listen to Joe Dispenza's work, and when you really begin to understand the wiring of the brain and the wiring of the subconscious mind, it takes a lot of work to undo that programming from childhood. So can a Reiki experience undo all of that? Um, Maybe, you know, maybe in, in some instances, but I think that's why spontaneous healing may not happen as often on a Reiki table is because we, there is a whole component to the brain, to the mind, to the subconscious. And I think, like you said, when the person on the Reiki table is able to release that resistance, to be in a state of feeling very receptive, believing and almost sensing, feeling, knowing that there is another way to live, a different reality that they can live in outside of whatever issues they're bringing to the table, then that's where I think some of that spontaneous healing can happen. It's because they're ready. They have cleared their belief systems. They're not blocking it. They believe it is true. They are open to the abundance of joy. Um, They're ready to release their suffering. They know that in their heart and can believe that there is a different way to live. Right. And just like from the Christian perspective, Jesus cannot save you until you fully accept him. Mm -hmm. So kind of the same thing, right? And, you know, the first show we did, uh, Matt Blackburn, he had Stephen Van Cars on. And he went into this long thing really debunking with science, Joe Dispenza's science. And I, and I'm not even going to pretend that I can explain what he was talking about, but one of the things that he said, you know, he, he's like, I want to just very easily debunk, um, synchronicity and like manifestation. And he gave two examples of why it doesn't work, but both examples were really just coincidence. Like that's what he was coming down to. Like all of the stuff that you think is happening, your thoughts do not create reality. So this is another thing where it's like just a total, it's kind of like a very powerlessness um, belief system. It's like, you know, your thoughts don't control anything. If you think they do, it's just completely by coincidence. And, you know, a lot of people have been bringing that point up. But, you know, if you want to get down to science, we see in brain scans how thoughts affect your physiology, how they affect and how that physiology over time affects your central nervous system and your neural pathways. So, I mean, and that's, and I don't know much about science, right? But that's just a really simple explanation for an argument of what some of these people are saying. Like your thoughts definitely have at least, because this is what we can prove, a physical effect. Yes. Well said. All right. I'm going to continue to play. Um, Doreen, we only got into 48 seconds so far, and this is an 11 minute uh, YouTube video. So hang on, folks, hang on. All right, hold on. Wisdom that's not available to everyone. The basis of Reiki is that it's symbols, and there's many different varieties these days. They they have uh, every kind of Reiki you can imagine. Uh, what I found with Reiki is that I, the symbols 
disturbed me. This is when I was full on New Ager and not much disturbed me. And I still was disturbed by the symbols. And also there was this coldness to it. There's no other way to put it. Um, it was like being in a place that was no sunlight, uh, just air conditioning. And, and I just didn't get any kind of warm fuzzies from it at all. Uh, so I might have used it in a group setting with other Reiki masters less than five times, but it just didn't appeal to me as something from my healing toolbox. So I put it away. Okay, so let's talk about the symbols. First of all, if you've never seen the Reiki symbols, you can Google them and see them for yourself and sit across from them and see how you feel. Um, the symbols, again, used to be passed down verbally from student to teacher. In my level two Reiki training, my Reiki master made us commit them to memory. We, were, we had to draw them, say them, um, you know, learn them, commit them to memory. And then he took the symbols away from us because you weren't supposed to share them with anyone. They weren't supposed to be in print. That was kind of um, a little bit of the sacred teaching. And maybe this is what they're talking about, the hidden knowledge, where, you know, in order to have access to those symbols, you were going through the training and that you also wanted to keep them protected only if you were like, you could speak of them and talk about them if you were in the company of a level two practitioner or, or higher because you have been trained in that. So they were trying to preserve that, but now they're in print. And one of the things that I learned as I move forward in my Reiki training is that the symbols themselves mean nothing. I don't know how you can be disturbed about it. It'd be like looking at a triangle and saying, that triangle disturbs me. Um, they're lines, all right? Let's really just take a look at what they are. They're lines and strokes in different patterns, but the symbols themselves mean absolutely nothing. It is the intent that is brought to the symbols that then activates the symbol to be used in a healing. As one of my teachers, Tom Campbell, would say, all that those symbols are is a metaphor and a point of focus for you to feel like, okay, if I bring up this symbol, say I bring up a triangle, that triangle will allow me to create enough focus to send energy through. And many times, People have to learn how to use tools or metaphors to feel like they can channel this healing, but ultimately you really don't need, you don't necessarily need the symbols because the symbols themselves don't mean anything. It is the intention that you bring to the symbol. And there are what I have learned, um, four symbols, uh, symbol one is one for physical healing. Symbol two is for emotional healing. Symbol three, you learn how to give distance Reiki and energy healing through space and time. And then the fourth healing symbol for Reiki master teacher basically says that you are the Reiki and you learn that all encompassing love and all of the symbols kind of wrap into the one. So when you become Reiki master teacher, you really only need to focus on one symbol. So when I heard her say they were cold, um, I was disturbed by them. I just kind of chuckled a little bit because I'm like, well, I mean, pick any type of sacred geometry or, or pick a line, pick a straight line. I mean, the symbols themselves don't carry anything. So I just found that interesting that she had such a strong uh, reaction and felt nothing from the symbols and was disturbed by them. Mary, what's your take on the symbols? So 
the symbols, I feel like they're just a way to access, right? You know, there's many different channels to access different things. And I just feel they're like they're a way to connect with an energy and access an energy, just like maybe you would prayer, right? And and we could go really deep with this, like there's sacred geometry, like there's grids all over the earth and those grids, you know, their energy, um, they're kind of patterns for energy to follow. Like if you broke everything down, everything comes down to a symbol from a lot of perspectives, right? There's lots of different perspectives out there that break things down to symbols. So I just think it's a way to access energy. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about it because I don't, but that's just my very sort of simple connection to that. And when I do that, it's a way of, I feel when I'm using the symbols, I'm setting an intention. I'm setting a concentration and a focus and I am holding space. So that's my personal connection to the symbols. And, you know, as far as feeling cold, I mean, personally, I feel very peaceful and warm when I, when I do Reiki. And a lot of times if I have an ailment, or I'm in a negative place and I'm giving Reiki to somebody, I get a healing too. I usually feel more energized after. I remember one of my supervisors, she knew that I was doing like Reiki in a private practice outside of the clinic. And I told her I had a couple of clients like before. She's like, oh, you want you drained? And I'm like, actually, it's the opposite. I never feel drained with Reiki. I always feel restored. Yeah, same here. I was always taught that when you give Reiki, you get Reiki. But the other thing I want to say about those symbols is also collective consciousness, right? So we have, I don't know how many people are trained in Reiki all over the world, right? I mean, so much so that insurance companies are trying to get their hands in it because they see that there's money to be made and they want to regulate it and give it a billing code, code which actually you can. Nurses have a ICD-10 code for um, energy balancing. I forget the exact name for it. I don't know if you knew that, Mary, but that's one of the ways where Jeanette, because she was an RN, was able to use Reiki in the hospitals because there's a billable code for it in, in the medical diagnosis tool that um, they use. But going back to the symbols, why I think they also carry power is not in the symbol itself, but in the collective consciousness of how many people are trained and told, okay, if you use symbol one and you draw this and you say it, uh, the intent is for physical healing. And so you know, right now, as we're talking, there could be thousands of Reiki sessions happening all over the world right now. And there is an intent that is focused. The symbol gives it the intention. It gives it the words. It gives us the feeling. It gives us the direction and where we should hold the energy for people. So that is why I think it holds power. Like you said, similar to other things in other religions, right? Um, we could talk about certain deities or statues or, you know, Jesus on the cross. Like, why do people hang that up? Um, you know, why do people use a Reiki symbol? Why do people have a statue of Buddha? Um, so same thing. It's kind of the collective consciousness has identified certain objects, certain shapes, certain symbols, certain statues, certain pictures to be used as a point of consciousness in meditation, in prayer, in spirituality. And then that is what gives it meaning. Then when I became a Christian, uh, then I started to go deep in researching about energy healing. And this is something we hear a lot of people asking about, right, Melissa? Yeah, and it's funny because I never was into energy healing. I never was into Reiki. Reiki. 
<laughs> is it Reiki? <laughs> Reiki, yeah. <laughs> I never was into Reiki. Um, I actually didn't even know what it was until I left the New Age, and I had a friend ask me about it. And as she described it, I'm like, yeah, that is definitely New Age. But I found it interesting. I'd never heard of it before. And my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's basically uh, using energy to, to heal people, as it implies. But you're drawing from what source to do that. That's right. And it's symbols. And these symbols are very abstract. Um, and one of the things that struck me right off the bat when I converted and started studying the Bible was that Jesus never used symbols. And these energy healings and Reiki healings use repetitive sessions. So you go back again and again to the person. And Jesus didn't model that for us, did he? He no. healed people and that would be it. That's it. Okay, so Mary, I'm just going to stop it there because I know that this is something that you were touching upon earlier. And again, this girl, Melissa, has no training, former training in Reiki. And you, it's clear that she even says, where, what source are they pulling this from? Well, we're pulling it from the universal life force energy, that energy of, of God as well. So right then and there, after I heard that, this video held no credibility for me. Just saying. Can I say something about Melissa? I just have something that I want to say. And so they talked about this in a longer video and I don't think it's in this clip, but she had said that Yusui died of a stroke. So where was Reiki for him then? Right. It obviously doesn't work. She made that comment. So I couldn't let that go because many very good Christian people die from things, right? Not everybody just goes to sleep and, and passes, right? And nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you're good and you've accepted Jesus, because they go by what the Bible says, then you have this kind of death. So I just want to do, just give a little bit of facts here. So yes, he died of a stroke. He lived from 1865 to 1926, meaning he died at um, 60 years old. So he died in 1926. The average age of death for a male in 1930 was 56 years old. So he actually outlived most of the males of his time. So I just, I would like to give her that information if she ever hears this. I mean, it just completely, like, I don't know, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. She was using that as evidence that Reiki doesn't work when he actually lived longer than the average male of his time. So maybe Reiki helped him live that extra two years. There's a nice little fact there. Good job, Mary. Um, yeah. And, the other thing that I would say, too, I mean, I know many people that are devout Christians that go to church, that read the Bible, are in Bible studies, and some of them have been diagnosed with terminal illness. That's and so, where, yeah, where's Jesus then? Where's the healing of a devout follower? And if you call upon him, like, it just doesn't, it, to me, it's just so irrational. I had, I, like, I just had to with that. <laughs> All right, let's continue on. How would this work? So uh, school me here for a second. So you mentioned the symbols. What are the symbols for and what do they represent? The symbols are gateways. They're like door openings for different levels of Reiki energy. And I do want to mention that while I was involved with this, I could actually feel a pulsating energy. So it did seem to have an actual effect. 
Hmm. But like you said, Melissa, where is the source of that effect? And if it's not from God, then it's from what is not God, which is the devil. And I would not trust it nor recommend it. Yeah. I want to read a little bit about. So I just want to stop there just for a second, because she doesn't even really fully answer that question to me. I mean, just, I'm just saying, I don't think she was trained well in Reiki. I don't know who her teacher was, but the fact that she really couldn't even go into a description, this, you know, Melissa is asking her, what are the Reiki symbols? All she says is that there was, you know, she could feel this pulsating, but she doesn't talk about what each symbol represents, what it means. Uh, Like I said, yes, there is an energy to them, but I think that is a result of the collective consciousness. And I would agree with her. It is a point of focus. We can call it a gateway, call it a point of focus. Again, it's just wording, but then she just jumps to, if it's not of God, then it's the devil. But again, my teachers, your teachers, Mary, have said that this is the divine energy, this, this source of love, this high vibration of energy that is coming through, which to me equals God. Well, what they say is that evil disguises themselves, disguises itself as love. So you know, it'll bring you healing. It'll make you feel like this is a loving practice, but it's really not. And, you know, that that's their explanation, but there's really no, like, I don't, there's no basis in that explanation that you, that way it gives, it's very convenient. You could chalk anything up outside of the Bible that feels good as the devil in disguise, really. Right. And, And, you know, she, you know, Doreen had said, you know, she felt cold, she didn't feel connected. She had said, like, some other things kind of scared her, like, in other videos, like, in the New Age. And not everything in the New Age is good. And not everything in the New Age is good for everybody. So it's like, yes, in any circle that you run, you can come across unsavory people and practices that maybe aren't really for the highest good. But you can't just, like, lump it all into one one opinion that it's all, you know, this is like a show run by the devil and everybody's being fooled. Yeah. And I think I mentioned it in show one too, that I just laugh at the fact that they call it new age because Reiki, Reiki has been around for hundreds of years. It's not new age. I mean, maybe it feels new age because it's something that is being spread more to the masses. And then all of a sudden, because, you know, there's books about crystals and energy healing and essential oils that this, you know, we're calling this a new age, but in my opinion, it's old age, just finally being recognized so yeah okay let's continue oh go ahead one other point i wanted to make which i kind of so i've been listening over the course of a week to just you know googling videos on reiki's evil and all the stuff and i'm coming across a lot of ex reiki masters practitioners um, that have switched over to born-again Christianity, right? Because this is a very particular kind of Christianity. Um, and most of the people that, you know, we've been listening to, they even speak out against, because there's other sects of Christianity that do do energy healing, that do, you know, have a little bit of what they would call new age in it. They do have a little bit of wider boundaries for acceptance of things that maybe, you know, other interpretations of the Bible wouldn't accept, like maybe like homosexuality and, you know, things like that. So, you know, they are very insular 
born again Christians. It's a very different thing. So we're not speaking to all Christians. So if there's other Christians out here listening to this and are like, Hey, my church does yoga or, you know, we, we do, we are open to these things. If it's from love, we're not really speaking to that. We're just really doing this for, we just had a question. It was an interesting topic. Um, but this is just an idea that I have. So I'm listening to these people and in a couple of the stories, in the book that we read, um, The Shattering, that we talked about last time by Jessica Smith, um, Doreen's own experience, which she does, I can't really find anymore. In the beginning, when she first made the jump, it had, it had said, or she had said that she was possessed by a demon and even gave a name, and he was giving, feeding her all of this stuff, giving her her psychic abilities and, you know, telling her what she should do and not do and to live on this certain path. But you can't find that information anymore. So I don't know why she chooses like not to put that out there. It seems to be gone from like any place that, that you could possibly find that info. So I think that's interesting. Um, but a couple of other people have said, just like Jessica Smith in this book, when they decide to refute the new age and find Jesus, they go through sort of an exorcism. What? Which I thought, yeah. <laughs> so Jessica Smith in her book, you know, that's like what her book is about. She decided she went on this retreat, this Christian retreat, and she decided, she said, okay, I'm only, thank you other spirits for, you know, all the work we've done together, like Buddha, whomever, but I'm only working with Jesus now. And then she said she started to show signs of possession. And I listened to another woman who said the same thing. Like, as soon as they said, we're not doing this anymore, we're only accepting Jesus, they had, like, a symptoms of possession and went through this kind of exorcism. So it just kind of makes me wonder, you know, who these people are to begin with. And I'm not being judgmental or negative or, you know, I know plenty of people that, really live in the church and are really into this too. My yoga teacher, my Kundalini yoga teacher, she's from Poland, an extremely Christian country. And when you go to yoga, there's Jesus and there's Yogi Bhajan and there's Buddha, right? There, It's all in there. So it's like, how come, and a lot of people leave the new age and go, but how come people, everybody's not having these experiences? It just makes me think that there's something more about the person themselves that has for some reason, I don't want to say attracted because I don't want to blame anybody or, you know, I'm trying to do this in a very gentle way, but maybe it's something about the person themselves that called this in. And it's very, uh, you know, it's just so much easier to be a victim and to blame it on something it, like Jessica Smith. Like she only has like two sentences in her book, but you know, she went on a binger for eight months of alcohol and apparently she was doing cocaine, which she didn't mention until the word cocaine came out in her exorcism. So, you know, it just kind of makes me wonder, like, is there other things that these people are engaging in? Are they really, you know, who they say they are? And is that attracting? We did a show on that last year, I think. Right. Right. It's about alcohol like, and yes. To lower entities. So it just kind of makes me wonder because one of the things that a lot of people said that when they were in the new age, they were miserable. They were in negative relationships. There's a lot of toxicity in their life. And they were pointing to how the new age, basically they were trying to say the new age was causing all the suffering in their life. I've had the opposite experience. I mean, we're here, we're human. 
we still have to take responsibility for our healing. We have to take responsibility for how we conduct ourselves, how we respond to what we're thinking and feeling. And I mean, it's a personal responsibility. Nothing's going to absolve you of that. No practice. And I'm finding with these born again Christians, this is a way that they have found that they don't have to take responsibility. They can give everything up to Jesus and be fine. And that's just, it's just a line that I'm drawing. And again, I really don't want to offend anybody, but it's pretty obvious in what these people are saying. Yeah. And I have a little bit of a different take maybe on the whole theory of exorcism and that experience that they may be having. And it kind of goes more in line with what William Buhlman teaches with his teachings of out-of-body experience. And he talks a lot about how people need to come to terms with their own fear. Many people who are first dabbling in learning astral projection and leaving their body or have an out-of-body experience many times will report that they encounter demons or that they encounter something really scary. And his explanation to that is that it is really just a reflection of their own fear and their fear-based beliefs that necessarily those demons and um, scary things that people are seeing don't really exist, but they exist in the mind of the person because it is a metaphor and a projection of their own fear. So maybe my thought is these exorcism that some of these people are having isn't necessarily a true exorcism or spirits that are coming out of somebody's body or these evil entity attachments, but maybe what they are releasing because they feel so safe in this belief system of God that that exorcism and experience is them actually releasing their fears because they finally feel safe enough to, for that to happen. And maybe the physical body is having a visceral reaction to the releasing of that vibrational energy which you can measure emotions on an energetic scale, um, you know, and fear, shame, and guilt are of the lowest vibrations of energy. So it could be that the physical body could also be calibrating as they are wanting to follow God and they believe that to be love. Love is a very high vibration of energy that can be measured. Fear is a low vibration that their physical body just might be recalibrating to a different megahertz of energy. I mean, it could be as simple as that. And there's no such thing as all this voodoo, woodoo, devil, God, this or that, but it's just two different states of being. You're either in fear or you're in love. And I think taking some of this fear stuff out of it about demons, exorcism, you know, all that bullshit that I, I don't know if I buy into that anymore. That's, so. I do believe that the, that these entities and these experiences are a projection or a reflection of people's fear. I don't really know what I believe, honestly. Like I totally attached to what you're saying. And I believe that that is super feasible. And I think that, yeah, that's possibly what it is. There's a part of me that also feels like that there's, there's this space, this maybe alternate reality that sort of hangs out next to ours. That's full of our pain. That's full of our fear. And, and it manifests something. And that when we are in those states and in those places, we can interact with that or it, that plane can interact with us. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, it's just, the whole thing is like very interesting to me. And I can't say that I know because I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't either. <laughs> I 
do. I think what you're saying is like really interesting. And I think that that's something that these people should really consider because the people that I've been listening to, they were in pain and love. They weren't in a place, even though Jessica Smith is like, you know, she was living this great new age lifestyle, but obviously she wasn't. She was having a really negative relationship. She was doing drugs. She was abusing alcohol. So as much as she was saying she was the pinnacle of the new age, she really wasn't in my opinion. So, you know, these people obviously did have a lot of that going on in their life. And Doreen too. Like, so she was this great renowned teacher and healer and author, but you know, she was having a lot of challenges in her personal life as well. And she would, you know, she would put some of that in her books. And most recently she went through losing a lot of money, losing her home. And, you know, through that experience, we, we search, right. And when we're suffering, we search for, we're doing all this stuff. Like what's the deeper meaning? What am I missing? And, you know, we, that can lead to metamorphosis and change like in either direction. So there was some of that going on for her too. My heart goes out to her. Like I still respect her. She was one of my first teachers and whatever she's going through, it's, it's her path. Right. Yeah. I, I like that that thought that you had too about this other kind of plane of existence where maybe all of our pain and suffering is because emotions are very palpable, palpable, right? I mean, you know, one of the first things that, you know, many people will say, it's like, oh, you can cut the tension in this room with a knife. I mean, we can feel that. And because we are energy, where, where do all of those emotions go from again, the collective consciousness, right? So, yeah, I like that. I like the way that you put that. And again, we don't know, but it sounds good. So, you know, that's why we're doing this. Yeah. You know, sorry. We know that emotions can manifest on the physical plane. Right. So, you know, it's just an idea that I have about that. But again, it's just my idea. All right. I'm going to go back to Doreen's uh, video. And I think here she is getting to uh, read something. So I'm just going to rewind it a little bit and let's continue. And I would not trust it nor recommend it. Yeah. But I want to read a little bit about what Got Question says about energy healing. I studied several modes of energy healing, including pranic healing. I did a lot of work on chakra clearing. I was very big into actually wrote a book about chakras and taught classes on it. This is an Eastern belief that um, is not Christian, it's not biblical, <laughs> but it, this is something you could relate to. It's part of trying to visualize healing. And so you and I both have a Christian science background yeah. where in, in kind of like word of faith, yeah, uh, where you uh, are said, if you have enough faith, you can heal. Mm -hmm. And so it takes what Jesus said about through your faith, you're healed, as he said in several passages in the gospels. And and kind of puts it on blame of people so that I think it hurts people, don't you, when they think that they're not healed because they don't, quote, have enough faith, unquote. Yeah, and I think that it puts too much responsibility on them. And I love your point about how Jesus healed because one of the things that I hear is that Jesus was a healer, but Jesus practiced Reiki. I'm like, no, I may have never practiced it, but that is just not how he did that. That is, that is not how it worked at all. And so, yes, Jesus healed. How the hell does she know that? I mean, was she there? I mean, what I, the, 
I, where's the humility in some of this to just also admit that? Did you walk the earth that he was there and witnessed this and saw this? I just, I just. I've never, I've never heard anybody say that Jesus practiced Reiki. Like, I don't, I think she might be making that up. Like, I've never heard anybody actually say that. Maybe there are people that say it, but it's not in the teachings. No. Yeah, I agree. Just coming to it of their own. It's not really the true teaching of Reiki. (laughs) Okay, let me continue. It was a one-time thing. You didn't have to keep going back. You went to the healer and were healed, but he was more concerned with your spiritual healing than your physical healing. Boom. That's it. And and it was all about going to Jesus or Jesus coming to you. Mm -hmm. And so got questions in their article called, what does the Bible say about energy healing makes the point that the Bible does not ask us to heal ourselves in any way. Mm -hmm. It asks us to go to God, to go to our triune God, to God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. And, This is what we are to do. When I was doing energy healing, there was never a time when we actually said, God, I would like you to heal me. I do want to circle back to the ScottQuestions.org article. It says, the use of energy healing encourages us to put our full trust in ourselves and our own bodies, which is a form of idolatry worship. And it could be that you're putting your full trust in the energy healer as well. And that could apply also to Western medicine, I should say, not just energy healing. It says, for most who participate in energy healing, no recognition is given to the one true God, nor does he receive any praise for healing. The person using these methods of healing has made himself into their own God, small g. Getting involved in energy healing is spiritually dangerous to say the least. And that's really what the bottom line is, is that uh, you're opening yourself up with energy healing. It's very similar to new age meditation where you just become so open. It's like you opened your front door to whoever's walking by and you wouldn't do that in the physical world. And we shouldn't do that in the spiritual world. We need discernment. Mary, do you have any thoughts? Basically what we've just been discussing. I mean, you know, we, you do connect to God. There, you know, you're not just opening yourself up to some like willy nilly, random energy, whatever, whomever it is, like you are connecting to the universal energy of love, which is widely what God is known as. And you're not, you know, you're not doing it yourself. Like I always, I always call on God. I always connect to that energy. It's, you know, you know, you do heal through God. It happens to you, through you. You don't heal yourself. I agree with her on that, but just where, you know, how we get to that idea, we differ. Yes. And, you know, my dad, who does read the Bible, it'd be great to have him talk with us. He sent me um, Corinthians 1, chapter 12, and it's all about spiritual gifts. And so, again, I could read this and interpret it one way. And she can read this and interpret it one way. And my dad called and said, you know, hey, I just came across this passage in the Bible, uh, Corinthians 1, chapter 12. And it's about uh, God talking about him sharing his spiritual gifts with people and that it's important that when you are, you know, delivering healings that you heal not out of obligation, but out of love. 
So I just pulled up this verse just on, on Google here, and this is the new international version, and I'm, I'm doing this on the on the seat of my pants here, so I might have to pull up a couple of other ones. And Mary, maybe if you can Google while I'm reading this, uh, Corinthians 1, chapter 12, it talks about, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same sp Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And then I think this is uh, in 12, it says, just as a body through one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. Um, you know, I'm going to have to ask my dad too of, of the specific verse, but when I am reading that too, you know, they were just saying that you either went to Jesus or Jesus came to you. And here in Corinthians one chapter 12, if I'm reading this one passage, right? This to me sounds like Jesus is distributing the gifts of healing. And what's written in the word is that it only comes from one source. That sounds like that to me. I mean, but again, I'm not, I'm not prolific in the verses of the Bible. In our last episode, Jessica Smith in her book Shattered lists a lot of the, um, a lot of the verses from the Bible that kind of back up what she's saying. And I wish I had my book here, but I brought it inside. But I did quote Corinthians in the first, um, the show, the show we did in procession to this one. And it's from Corinthians. And basically the quote was, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So they pull a lot from that. I wish I had the book on me because she just like lists so many verse verses in the back. And again, but what you just read is speaks very much to what we're saying. So as much as they say that it, there, there is no discernment in the Bible, it's black and white. If you read it, it tells you exactly. I mean, what you read to me really speaks to what we've been saying. Yeah, and when I go further down in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm on verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, your prophets are going to be your, your psychics and mediums, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. So one so, of the things that, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. And yeah, no, go ahead. One of the things that Doreen says about prophets is that if you're truly a prophet of God, you're never wrong. And one of the things is, 
you know, I was thinking about that a lot and I'm like, you know, I kind of see that point, but we have free will, we have egos and we, each one of us can channel God and we can channel that experience, but our filter really depends on our free will and our choice. So that could explain for why, you know, it's not that psychics are being controlled by demons and they give some true information and some false information. It could just be the filter of the ego and the human experience in the channeling of that. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's see. We're about six minutes in. Let's continue with the video. Agree. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one reason why I didn't, you know, I didn't know much about it. I just didn't think that that it was something that was even out there. It seems even if I had known about it and I'd probably be very curious about it, it sounds like it would be something kind of, I don't know, spiritually sketchy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it involves putting your hand up and then these symbols coming out of the palm of your hand. And I I thought it was very sci-fi and I'm not, you know, a big sci-fi fan. No offense to those who are. It's just, it just didn't resonate with me at all. Why do you think people are attracted to it? Why do you think people want to do something like this? I mean, obviously they want to be healed, but why that particular method? Well, I know that when I was first in the New Age, there was a lot of, and this is when I lived in California, there was a lot of classes you could take to be a Reiki master. And it was actually marketed as a career path. So people were taking the classes because they wanted to be a, professional Reiki master. And then there was, you know, there was people who wanted to add it to their repertoire of healing uh, tools. So it was very common for people who are energy healers to take a lot of different modality classes. Interesting. So it was just another notch in your belt kind of thing. Yeah, I think it was genuinely from a desire to help people. Yeah, um, yeah. For instance, it's, it's common for body workers and massage therapists to also be Reiki masters. And and so, but it was very expensive too. I just want to add that yeah. the way it would work is you take level one and two, and they'd be maybe a hundred dollars, maybe sometimes free. But then you'd want to be a master. That's where you had to fork out a thousand dollars and more. You know, Interesting. To get, and, you, and it was like you couldn't work until you were the master. And I just that word master to me, even when I was a new ager, I thought it was very egoic. Yeah. Okay, I just want to stop right there because again. A lot of that is not true, at least how I was taught. I was taught in my level one Reiki training that you never needed to go any further than level one, that if you went any further, it was probably more of a calling, but all that you needed was level one Reiki, hands on Reiki on, hands off Reiki off. Um, They did say in the certification course that you, yes, you definitely could start a business and just as being a level one Reiki practitioner. Um, My teacher followed the Takata payment system, which was $250 for level one, $500 for level two, and $10,000 for a year study to become a Reiki master. So I was not able to follow with my level one Reiki master because I still don't have $10,000 that I could pay over a year's time to practice this. So I chose the path that was much more affordable to me. And my level one, I paid $250. My level two, I paid $150. My level three was $500. And my level four for the advanced Reiki master teacher to learn the attunements was 175. So add that up. 
And that was done over a course of, I waited two years in between each level. That was just my path. I didn't feel a calling to have to learn the symbols until my dad actually got sick one year and he lived in Arizona. And I realized, well, I want to tap into and learn what that distance Reiki symbol is so I can send healing energy to my father. So between level one and level two, I practice level one for two years. Level two, I practice it for two years. And then level three, um, there was another two years in between level two and three, and then probably five years before I became Reiki master teacher. So, and I was practicing and I had my own healing practice and I did make a business out of it, but I didn't need to be a Reiki master teacher in order to do that. My understanding the way that I was taught is that Reiki master and Reiki master teacher is a call that when you get to that level, you are really dedicating your life to practice Reiki on a daily basis, to give it as much as you can and to teach it, to have students and to teach the gift. And many people don't have that calling. So they typically don't move on to level three, but I was never told by any Reiki master, and I have had four of them, four different Reiki masters. None of them have ever said to me, you cannot practice or administer Reiki until you become Reiki master teacher. What they did say is that you can't teach it until you go to that level because you have to learn and understand the attunement process. And to really be committed, if we go back to the Reiki principles, be diligent in all undertakings to want to be able to teach and spread it as much as possible. Yeah, I've had the same experience. I waited years in between um, all three of my attunements as well. And, you know, really, they're just not giving factual information about it. It's very opinionated. Um, so I just can't even like, there's, I don't even really know what to say in rebuttal to them because they're just, they're not really making valid points. It's just kind of summations of things or what they think. And Doreen even said she really didn't use Reiki much. So, you know, I don't know how connected she really was to the practice, the practices or the teachings. And not only that, I still challenge as I hear her talking more and more about her Reiki experience, her Reiki trainings, what she had to pay had to pay for it. Who, who was her Reiki master? Because again, like we said, can there be some people that go into this and are not following it in the correct way and are using it to make money and they are more coming from the ego with it being manipulative and not using in the true shape or form? I would say so because I have never had this experience in all that Doreen is talking about from financially to the money, one to the symbols, um, just two to the way that that Reiki was taught or what the rules were, um, that has not been my experience at all. So that's what makes me a little frustrated when I'm hearing this is that it sounds like it's just based off of her one experience, but I don't really hear her one, just maybe acknowledging that or two, maybe at least um, acknowledging that there are different ways, maybe that other Reiki practitioners did it and maybe the way that she was taught was not in good faith. I don't know. I would feel more comfortable and on board with her and maybe not feel as confrontational as I'm feeling a little bit or as passionate as I'm feeling if some of these points were made on her video. Yeah, I just don't think it was a great argument. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, about two and a half, three minutes left of Doreen. So I'm going to let the rest of the video play out and then we will begin to wrap up ourselves. So, I mean, would you ever get results? I'm sure you'd get some results, but... The only time I remember getting results was um, I did something called polar therapy, which 
was this this I thought it was fascinating this old book that I found in a used bookstore called Polar Therapy and it was this older country woman who had found that uh, if she took two fingers that it could be like the poles of a battery you know positive and negative and she would put that on body parts and she would just I don't I don't think she was praying she was kind of visualizing the jump from negative to positive arc. Uh, and I did that once on a person who had um, kind of a blister and it popped while I was doing it and I wasn't touching her. <laughs> and she said, oh, that helped, thank you so much. And, and but you know, the, the sorcerers in Pharaoh's yeah. court did false magic. So they did false miracles. So the results aren't even, it's interesting because I think people think because it works that it's okay. And I'm like, no, there's two different sources that you can get results from. You know, why, why do you think that, what do you think is the biggest difference between energy healing and the healing that Jesus did? We touched on it before, but is there anything more on that that you think would be beneficial to add? Well, when Jesus would heal people, it was the presence of God. You yeah. would step into the presence of God and there were people seeking him out, the woman with the 12-year bleeding condition. I mean, she had so much faith in the presence of God that she touched his hem, and she was able to receive Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. So it's not energy from the Pleiades or energy from symbols or from your own hands. It's truly healing. It's Jesus. It's his presence. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, again, I'll disagree with that because they just, this, they're contradicting what they said. That little video in that excerpt is basically saying that that woman had a belief system that if she just touched the clothing of Jesus, that she would heal. Energy flows where thought goes. So it was her faith that she believed that she would be healed by, by touching him. And in that video, it says, it was your faith that healed you. Yeah, there you go. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. Hello. <laughs> and funny enough, I, I paused it. There's only like one second left, but I paused it on 11.11, not 11 minutes and 12 seconds. Ha <laughs> ha. There's one thing that I just kind of wanted to talk about, um, just, you know, with energy healing and lots of people have different opinions. So Sadhguru, who we both like, right? We both kind of follow what he says, um, you know, some of his work is really good. I'll just say that, you know, I don't have one teacher where it's a word for word, everything they say I take on. Like I just take from people what inspires me and what doesn't I leave. We're all human, we're all here, just offering what we can offer and what we offer speaks to different people in different ways. But, you know, you had sent me a clip maybe a year or two ago, and this is before I even knew who he was, about this Indian guru, right? I kind of figured he was a yoga guy um, talking about energy healing. And a woman got up and said, should we be doing this? And he basically said, no, because you will take on the karmic patterns of that person. And, you know, I just thought that was an interesting angle as well. 
And do you think that that's possible? Hmm. I think what we should do is make this show number three. And so maybe what we should do is actually take that Sadhguru clip, because I remember calling one of my Reiki masters, because then I was filled with a little bit of fear, like, oh my gosh, what what should we do? You know, I respect this person. And, um, you know, he's saying that this isn't great to manipulate the energy. So we had a really great conversation about that. And I think maybe just for time's sake and to keep the show dedicated to what we found in regards to the talk with Doreen's path that let's make that for our next episode. And we will pull up that YouTube video and we can discuss more about what Sadhguru teaches about Reiki. Yeah. And yoga in general, because I, you know, I've looked into it a little bit and that is like a great point that you brought up. And I think that this is what we should sort of portray to the listeners is that we really do take care and caution in this stuff. Like when we hear something, we consider it and it's not like we just write it off and say, no, I mean, why would we be doing this whole show on it? If it's not something that we really kind of took in and thought about and wanted to look a little bit deeper in, because I think as first and foremost, as a clinical clinician, and then as a healer, you know, our first responsibility is to do no harm. Right. You know, anything that I do is not lightly. I mean, I truly believe that the universe speaks to you through your passions, through your desires, through your interests, through your calling. That's one of the ways that the universe, you know, your destiny, you're not blind to your destiny. If you listen to yourself, if you follow your heart, if you follow those breadcrumbs, like you will find your path. And I think that, you know, I came to this sort of place of healing, not out of ego, but I feel like I was led. Right? I feel like God, I feel like the universe through my intuition, through the people that he put in my life, through my own experiences of healing has led me down this path. I don't think it's something I did without God on my own. So, you know, us as healers and as therapists, we, we really take care and caution into what we bring to sessions with our clients. So I think that's something that's just really important to put out there. Yes, I agree. And, you know, we would also love to hear from all of you. If there is a specific topic that you would like to hear us, um, I don't know if debate is the right word, or to consider, or maybe take a look at both ends of the spectrum when it comes to spirituality and some of the healing practices that are out there, please feel free to email me at april at path11productions.com and let us know some of your thoughts. And if there is something specific that you think would make for an interesting topic for our background that you would like us to look into, we are open. Um, And we're just enjoying you guys listening and being a part of our path. These are just regular conversations that when Mary and I get together or if we're on the phone, we will text each other about or we have. So you're kind of just eavesdropping in on two best friends who have the same clinical background, the same kind of of life experiences, our lives parallel each other so much in crazy ways. Um, and maybe we can even do a show about that, Mary, because it's just wild that, um, you know, we're, we're just trying to figure it out as much as all of you are, but we do want to be able to at least share the other side of what we experience to be I guess, our truth or our truth for today. And um, my concern sometimes with people who are in the major spotlight and can speak so um, 
you know, strongly about something. And if somebody doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge, I could see where people begin to collect followers and then other people just tag on to these belief systems. I always think it's important to do the research, hear both sides, contemplate, and then choose what works best for you. So we just want to thank you all for taking the time to listening. We hope you enjoyed this talk. We will put the Dorian Virtue YouTube link in the show notes so you can listen to the full 11 minutes. And we just want to thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out of body experiences and life changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today.